You're listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. I'm here today with Allison Murphy, who's the Vice President of Ad Innovation at the New York Times. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. I'm very excited to hear what this title is and means, but first, coffee. What is your coffee drink of choice? We are sitting here on a brisk day. I already had an iced coffee because I'm that crazy. What do you like to drink? I am really boring in my coffee taste. I like regular drip coffee with just a little bit of milk. I cut sugar out a few months ago, so I've been managing that, but I can't quite go all the way to black coffee. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've never been able to do frappuccinos or anything like that. I don't think that's boring. And I feel like this podcast has made me like almost an expert on what your coffee drink means about your personality. Oh no. (laughs) And plain, a lot of people are like, oh, I like plain boring coffee, but some of those people are the most successful people. So I actually don't think it's a bad thing. Maybe it's decision fatigue, (laughs) either that or it's just... I need to be able to drink whatever coffee is around me. And right. if you're too picky, then uh, that limits your options when you really need caffeine. I think that's that's exactly it. Both of those things. I like that it's decision fatigue. It's just like the people who drink the most simple coffee are making the biggest choices and decisions every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we definitely want to talk about your job here. It's so exciting. So. Before we go into your past and your history, Vice President at Innovation at the New York Times, what is your job? Do you know? That is a great question. I think I learn more every day about what my job is and is supposed to be. The short answer is my team and I think about what is it marketers want to do with the New York Times? What is it we should be offering them and selling them? And then how do we work with the entirety of the company, both the ad department, the newsroom, our digital teams, our tech teams, and figure out how to build that and then bring it back to clients in the market. So we have to think about what people want now and what they're going to want and turn that into something they can buy. That's so cool. And a job that, what, five years ago, you couldn't have even, three years ago, two years ago, didn't exist, (laughs) right? Well, five years ago, I knew nothing about advertising and wasn't at the time, so definitely couldn't have imagined it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's exciting, and it's something that, it's a job that means every day there's something new to think about, which is great. That keeps it exciting. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your path to get here. Where did you start from your internships to, you know, your education, your first jobs? What were the steps and the path you took to get you here. We are in the New York Times building at the New York Times in Times Square. Yeah, it's really all over the place. I have a hard time even looking back and figuring out how exactly did I get here. Um, I always loved media. I think writing, reading, current events, I've always loved and cared about. Um, And leaving college, I thought I was going to be a writer, but very quickly changed paths and went into consulting. So I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And they were coming to college and recruiting people. And I thought, sure, that's a job. I can do that. And I ended up really liking it. I liked the problem-solving side of consulting. But there still wasn't that passion element for me. I still loved media and wanted to be closer to that. I went to business school to try and figure it out for a couple of years and met a lot of people, got to 
know the media industry and everything that was going on with journalism at the time. Um, and when I left business school, I came to the Times, but not in advertising. I basically went to our internal consulting group that works on company strategy. Um, and the first week, my boss said, we're going to have you work with advertising. I said, but no, I wanted to work with the newsroom. <laughs> this is why I came to the Times. Don't make me work with those people. I didn't even know what, what advertising did or was. Um, but I started working a lot with the team. And uh, the next year, I shifted roles, and I became chief of staff to um, Meredith Levian, who's now our COO and runs the ad business and the subscription business and all of that. And I got a lot more exposure in that role to all parts of the business around the times. And I think it changed my view of the ad department a lot because I realized that you know, advertising, because it's in client services, because it's market facing, it has to be cutting edge and future focused in a way that it's very hard to be, you know, just like of your own accord. So I got to really appreciate that about the department. And when the opportunity came up to move and focus on advertising, I jumped at it. That's a great story. I, I love it. I, I'd love to talk for a second about consulting because mm -hmm. I feel like this is a yeah. word we hear. That, that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> we can have a whole episode, a bonus episode. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot of listeners who are students and mm -hmm. I know out of school, I also had a lot of friends who went into consultant, consulting and it's interesting to hear you also talk about consulting within a media organization because mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that's something we hear about a lot yeah. as a job. So what was that? Like, what are you doing day to day? Yeah. A, when you're a consultant in general, but B, when you're working within a media organization. I think really of consulting just as being paid to solve problems. And out of college, it was a great choice for me for a couple of reasons. You learn, um, you learn a lot of skills really quickly. You get exposed to different businesses and different organizations and you get to spend time with the leaders of organizations, with, which I think is great. You have to be around people who have to make decisions and see what that's like. Um, but consulting is also a very talent-focused industry. You know, the people are their assets, and so they invest a lot in training and development and great management. And to begin your career at a place that cares about how you as a 22-year-old develop is rare. So yeah. I, I gained a lot from that and will always appreciate that. Um, usually that's not where organizations are focused. Um, but I, I benefited from great mentors, great managers. Once I came to strategy at the times, it was a little bit different because you didn't have clients, you had partners. Mm -hmm. So similarly, you'd work on a project where there's a, a specific problem you're trying to solve. And maybe it's figuring out a three-year growth plan. Maybe it's figuring out how a team can be more efficient, or um, it could be analyzing a trend in the industry. It's still focused on what's one question or problem to solve. But once I was at the Times, you're working with the same people over and over. So it's not just that these are clients paying you for advice. You're really invested in, can they solve this problem? Um, so two of the people I worked with early on in strategy at the times are now colleagues of mine in advertising. And we've been working together for almost four years now, just in different roles. It's so interesting. I mean, it's really, can be an exciting job, right? You're doing something different yeah. every day. Something exhausting to, too. Right? <laughs> exhausting too. I think you learn so much. And if you're a person who 
you know, gets bored by the same problems over and over, consulting is great for that. Um, but what you lose is getting to be part of the execution mm. and getting to see change carried through. Um, I also think it's a little bit of a luxury to only have to advise and not have to execute. Right. Uh, because you don't have the accountability of, of, well, it turns out that that plan on paper doesn't really work in reality. Right. Uh, and I've enjoyed getting to now be in a role where, you know, you have to see it through from beginning to end, and you have to recognize the moments when you change plans. Yeah, that's... <laughs> well, it's interesting when you're... A lot of people, I think, the complaint of their job is, like, you do the same thing every day mm-hmm. so that's an interesting job where even if you're doing the same thing it's with different clients yes. so it feels fresh yep. which is exciting yes um but now you've landed here at the mm-hmm. New York Times I think one of the hardest questions to answer is like what does your typical day look like I but <laughs> I won't ask you that because I think that's hard but day to day like what kind of work are you doing what does it yeah. look like are you mostly sitting in meetings and emails or are you you know, brainstorming, what are kind of some of the key components of this really cool and exciting job? Oh, it's such a mix. Uh, I am in meetings a lot, but they're not all, I guess I would say I spend time with people almost all day long, although different sorts of meetings. So I'm now at a point where I have a, a reasonably large team. A lot of my time is spent with my team in one on ones with them helping figure out how to crack through barriers they're facing or planning what they and their teams should be doing next. Um, And that's been a change as I've become a manager of managers is um, it sometimes feels like I'm not doing that much work. I mean, I'm working, but the, the execution of, of projects and the, the on the ground is not as much my job anymore as helping my team do that and do that effectively. And Mm -hmm. that's been a change. Um, so I spend a ton of time with my team and that's where I'm happiest. Um, I also, I end up in meetings a lot with people around the company because a big part of what my responsibility is, is working with the company to say, how can things we're doing in the newsroom or with our subscription business also be something we offer advertisers. And that means we have to know what's happening with those organizations. And it goes the other way too. When clients bring in um, problems for us to solve or ideas they have, it's working with the rest of the company to see if there's a way we can do something new and interesting with them. So a lot of meetings with the rest of the company. Um, And then one of the things that's been nice in this role is I, I now... I'm in market sometimes, so I'm at client meetings, and I spend more time with our sales team, and that uh, that just means you're constantly getting new information about what's happening, and that's been a great change, I think, in this role versus previous roles. And are you responsible for the execution success? So your team's thinking up the ideas. What happens then? Yeah. Uh, yes. Shortly. Okay. So some things, and I'd say the things we do, there's two different types. Some things that we're building are products, and they're going to be repeatable. And that could be a new great display unit. So we just launched um, a full-screen mobile ad unit maybe doesn't sound that exciting, but a lot goes into that. So um, working with the engineers, the designers, the developers to build the unit to make sure it works. So there's that more traditional side of digital advertising. um, And that lives with my team and and making sure they work, literally that they load on the site, but also that they perform Mm -hmm. for marketers is what we look at all the time. Um, 
But then we're also doing things like sponsorships or partnerships with the newsroom. And we have a lot of people who help with coming up with the ideas. We have strategists and creative directors. Um, and and those, those people are not in my team. But what my team gets involved in is how do we bring together the vision for a client's strategy with the resources of the company. Um, we're the New York Times, so there's lines we don't cross in what we bring to the newsroom. Uh, we would never have a, a client or a marketer dictate coverage in any way, um, but that doesn't mean there aren't ways we can partner together mm -hmm. to bring something new to life. So a lot of it is helping understand what does the newsroom want to do. Um, they were launching augmented reality and wanted to do something huge around Olympics, which was wonderful, um, although they decided that about six weeks before the Olympics, which meant <laughs> we then needed to get on it and find an advertiser. Uh, we did build an AR experience for that advertiser, you know, and ship it. So, so that's a lot of the day-to-day -to -day too, is once we've sold something, making sure all the details from the creative to the technical come together. Any recommendations you have or advice you have for people who are thinking about going to business school, what they should be thinking about? Yeah. I think the interesting thing about business school in particular is in most cases, no one needs to go. It's not going to be a professional requirement unless you're probably unless you're in very specific types of finance. Um, so, so there's always an element of choice. And I think the most important thing is to know what is it you really want to get out of business school. And if you can't answer that, then save yourself the money because <laughs> it's, it's a lot expensive. of money. It's, and it's, and I think it's, you know, it's important, especially for women to think about, because it's not just the cost of attending, but it's also two years away from career when you could be advancing in other ways. So there's there's an opportunity cost there, too. For me, it made sense because I knew I wanted to switch industries. And the reality is that is very hard to do unless you can spend a ton of time networking. And I knew I was probably going to be coming to New York. I was living in Boston at the time. It's it's hard to make those connections. And using the two years of business school to educate myself about an industry and to meet people was really worthwhile. Um, I also just love to learn. So I am a nerd and loved the class component of business school and getting to take some classes in finance. I mean, I was an English major. I took nothing that involved numbers at any point during college. So re-engaging in, in some of that was a lot of fun. Um, and now, you know, people told me this, but it, I feel it now. You, there is a huge networking benefit of people you went to school with, but I didn't really start to value that until recently, I think, and I'm now four years out. What I've realized now is, like, I'm a middle manager. Um, I only have so many peers in my company uh, because organizations, you know, they get smaller as you move up. And having a network, especially a network of women from business school who aren't at my company but are at similar points in their career has been so wonderful lately for the support and to think through questions. You know, many of my classmates are also now managers. Being able to just talk openly about situations we're dealing with and how we're trying to solve them has been great. And I don't think I expected that as a benefit from business school, but it, it has really been there for me. Um, so for me, it was the right choice. But I think you want to make sure that if you're going, you've got really good reasons to. Or again, just save yourself the debt. <laughs> save yourself the money otherwise. So do you, I know a lot of times it's like, 
I don't really know what I want to do. Yeah. Maybe I'll go to business school. Maybe not a strong enough reason. I would say that's probably not a strong enough okay. reason. I mean, this is just my <laughs> advice. Um, like, you could spend a lot less and take three months off and go on a sabbatical or do an externship or something. Um, two years is a lot to commit to, to just figure it out if you don't have some hypothesis. I also think it's great, this wasn't the case for me, but um, for people who, you know, there are still industries that recruit really heavily from business schools, mm-hmm. um, like consulting and banking and marketing at big CPG firms, and um, a lot of the tech companies, things like product management, they now recruit heavily. So if you are looking to move into those industries, then it can be a really smart way to make a move into those. Um, but if if you're really lost, I think it's more worthwhile to spend some time with some mentors and sponsors and learning a little bit before you make that kind of commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Yeah. I think it's really good. Stop and think about it. And uh, hey, if the money's no object, then sure. Um, <laughs> stay in school forever because it's fun. You've made a bunch of internal switches, internal jumps and moves here at the New York Times. How did you navigate making internal switches? Those can sometimes be the most complicated ones. And and also, what advice do you have for our listeners who are looking to take on a new role within their company rather than leaving to find a new job? Yeah, that's a great question. We actually just moved spaces recently in the building, and I found like business cards with all my previous titles, <laughs> and it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, I think for me... So many of my moves in the Times were shepherded and guided by um, Meredith, who early on was a a mentor and a boss of mine. And my broader advice there is just find people who are going to invest in you and worry a little bit less about what you're doing day to day. Um, Pick bosses, not jobs, has always been the way I've thought about things. Um, And of course, it helps if you... (laughs) pick someone who's like spectacular and keeps getting bigger jobs herself because you can <laughs> ride along on those coattails. Um, but so one, one is that is um, invest in people that you know will invest in you. I think the other thing is trying to be open about um, what that next opportunity is and being less specific again about the work and more about what you're hoping to gain So when I took this job in advertising, it's been a little over a year, I'd actually, I'd wanted to go work in our marketing group and our subscription business and had been really looking there. Um, But when I stopped to think about what I most wanted to do next, I really wanted to manage a team and I wanted to have responsibility for a, a decent part of the business and I could get that in this role. And it was absolutely the right choice. And it was also another instance of picking a boss. So my boss now is someone that I've been working with since I've been at the Times. We're great compliments. We trust each other. And at the end of the day, that is going to help me learn more than um, taking a role that maybe functionally looked a little bit better on paper. So pick pick bosses, not jobs, is the main thing. And try and try and keep in mind the couple things that matter to you most. For me, it's always about, am I going to learn something in this job? And who's the team I'm going to work with? And if I can like meet those requirements, I kind of do just about anything. So um, keeping that openness is important. I think that's great advice, especially when we're talking about your role here at Innovation, where 
it's a new role. You would never have been like, this is the job I'm going to take specifically because, nope. again, <laughs> we didn't know it existed. Um, but I love the idea also of, like, what are the four – what are your four things you have to have? Yeah. I mean, I've always – like, for me, flexibility. I have to have yeah. flexibility in my job. But I probably could do anything, honestly, as long yeah. as I have flexibility. It's your, it's your compass points, I right. think. You know, you've got to know what they are. And to your question on business school, one of the things that really stood out to me is, you know, a great thing about business school is you get all these successful executives and leaders who will come in and talk to you and be really open and candid. And the thing I realized at the end of those couple of years is practically none of those leaders was where they thought they were going to be. And if you asked them, most of them said, you know, you've got to stay open. I mean, you need to be goal oriented and you need to think about where it is you want to get. But if you're too focused on that, you're going to miss the opportunities as they come along. Mm -hmm. If you're too scared to deviate from what you thought you wanted um, to take advantage of something that comes up, then you're, you're just going to miss it. And our industry is it's changing too much. Yes. It's, it's so, and I know, you know I'm sure we've talked about it on the show before, but you're going to just disappoint yourself if yeah. you have, because a lot of those jobs are not existing the way that existed be before. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, if you have your eye on one prize, it doesn't mean, it doesn't yeah. mean you can't have a fulfilling career of the things you want, but it probably won't be what you think it is. Right. And <laughs> I, one of the things I've realized most recently is that the ability to handle ambiguity and change is a skill. Um, it's not one I'm great at, actually. I'm working on that. Um, but people who can quickly find their balance and find their center in dynamic, changing environments will be happier and more successful. Um, I have to work on that every day, and I think about how I can help my teams do that. But especially if you're going to be in an industry like this, you you can't get unsettled easily and still be happy. So you've got to find a way to keep that balance. All about balance. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about balance. As you've been progressing in your career, was there a sign or experience along the way that really showed you, okay, I'm on the right path? Because you have taken a really interesting path, or was it, you know, is that not something you think exists where you're just taking it day by day? <laughs> I'm, I'm still not sure I'm on the right path. I don't think there is such a thing as a right path. Um, I think... I think I've always been able to feel when something's like not quite right, it's much harder to get the feeling of like, oh yeah, this is working. Um, but you know it when you're there, I feel that way right now in my career um, where, okay, like the good days definitely outnumber the bad days. I wake up and I have energy in the morning. I want to see the people I work with. Um, and so I'm just kind of going with that gut for now. I don't think there is a right path. Um, and I, I think it's much more about staying open and always looking around, not always looking for the next best thing, but instead always looking around and always looking inward to be really honest about, you know, are you learning? Are you happy? Um, do you feel like the things you're doing are creating an impact or could you be doing more? And right now I feel, <laughs> I don't think I could be doing more. Right now I feel like I'm pretty, pretty tapped out, but that may not be the case in a handful of months. And it's about constantly looking. Um, yeah. I think what you're, one thing you're saying that really resonates with me and I don't think a lot of us do is just 
taking a second every once in a while to think about what you're doing and yeah. like where to reflect. Right. Yes. Yeah. So and make sure you're still happy. I mean, it's really important that you like what you're doing, like mm-hmm. your team get up in the morning and aren't like, oh my gosh, yeah. I can't believe I have to go to work again. It's There's too many options out there to, to be miserable at what you're doing. But I, I also think, um, you know, like reflecting is different than comparing. I, I don't think it helps much to always be saying, well, I could be doing this job, this job, or this job. I, th- I think there's something to be said for loyalty and for committing to the place where you are mm-hmm. and to the people that are around you. So, um, finding a way to be reflective, but to not constantly, constantly compare mm-hmm. is important. Too. Yeah. I think that's a really good advice because yeah. it is really easy to be, especially the unknown, be like, well, if yeah. I was that job, like, you don't really know what no. it would be like. <laughs> the grass is always greener. It's always going to seem like someone has better hours or a more interesting job or better perks or free breakfast, right. but like, it's never quite what it seems. So <laughs> know, know the value of what you've got. Not necessarily worth it for nope. the free breakfast. I'd love to ask you to give some of your own advice here, additional career advice. Um, when you get a promotion or start a new job, which you have shifted around a bit, <laughs> shifted around a bit, yeah. so you are the one to ask. Sometimes you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel completely overwhelmed or, you know, not ready for this. I don't know if you've ever felt that at any yes. of these jobs, especially if it's something new that you're, especially a role that like maybe isn't that well established and no one's told you mm-hmm. exactly what you want to do. What advice do you have for someone who's going through that, who is having the experience of just feeling completely overwhelmed at a new job so that, you know, they, they feel like they cannot proceed. <laughs> so you said overwhelmed at a new job. And I was going to say, I feel that pretty much every day. <laughs> my job is not new anymore. Um, every day is new to you. Every day new is a to new you. First, I think just recognize and repeat to yourself that most people feel this way. Uh, most people, if they're uh, normal enter a big challenging situation and are excited, but also really nervous and really questioning, am I going to be able to do this? Um, So everyone feels that way. And the fact that you feel that way doesn't mean you're not competent and up for the challenge. It's just the way you're feeling because it's new. So you've got to get over that mental and emotional hurdle first. And I think reminding yourself of just things you've succeeded at in the past can help. Like, keep your list of small victories so that when you're really staring down something that's daunting, you can remind yourself that, oh, I've overcome things before. It's good to keep that mental victory list. Um, the other thing I think is, and this is something I've, I'm realizing recently, is um, you've got to get a sense for the organization you're in. I think because we're in such a dynamic industry, there's lots of places where there isn't clarity. Even if you're not in a new role, it's probably not completely clear Mm -hmm. what your job is. And, you know, don't ask permission so much. Just get in there. Uh, I think people tend to be more forgiving of people who dive in and, and try to find a way to have impact soon than people who are hesitant. And that's certainly true if you have a team. I think teams want direction. They want decisions. Um, they want clarity. And the sooner you can find a way to provide that, the better. Making fast decisions and then having to change course is way better than sitting and not making any calls at all. Mm-hmm. So 
um, just kind of charge forward fearlessly and, uh, and pay attention to the signals around you if you start stepping on toes, but it's better to take action than not. Yeah, I think remembering they've hired you for a reason. I think yeah. it's very easy to be second-guessing yourself and yes. just you, and, and <laughs> you're you supposed will to start, be here. You will start feeling better as soon as you feel some victories and you, as soon as you start getting things done. So um, as quickly as you can get out of the nerves and paralysis, the, the better. <laughs> I like charge forward. Yes. That's going to be my <laughs> motto of today. Charge, charge forward. forward. <laughs> You've talked about liking your job and, you know, that it's exciting. It keeps you on your yeah. toes, if, if nothing else. What's something you do every day to make sure that you feel like your job is personally rewarding? It could be something tiny. could be something yeah. grand, a grand gesture. Uh, well, I love where I'm sitting now. We just moved spaces, and I now have a view of the newsroom from my desk, which is great because even if I'm here late I can look down and see the lights and um, I'm also just around the newsroom more which helps me remember why I'm here and why I'm doing this um, I also uh, I, I read the news every day which is a professional requirement <laughs> in some ways but um, but I also just I, I was a New York Times reader before I ever worked here and I don't ever want to lose the sense of what it is to be a reader of our product and to be a customer of our product. And I, every day, am proud of the work that our newsroom does and am proud of the work of our business in sustaining that uh, and opening the app and reading it on the subway ride home, no matter how bad the day has been, is a nice reminder of, oh, yeah, this story happened because someone's here working. Right. Um, usually a lot of people right. working to make that happen. So yeah, I read the news. I love that. I mean, it's a it's a tangible thing every day that like you all are creating here, which is not something everyone has, and it's yeah. quite satisfying. And it's daily, right? It's changing every day. <laughs> I was gonna ask you if you read a actual physical newspaper, but you I read do. it on your app. Well, I get the print paper on the weekends, okay. and I love it. And that for me is nothing about work. That's just leisure. Right. You know, I have my coffee, and for a couple hours. I just read things that I wouldn't encounter otherwise. Um, but during the week, it's, it's mainly on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> like most people. A nice combo. Mm -hmm. A nice combo. We love to ask our guests classically annoying interview questions. So these are questions you would potentially get at an interview. You may think there's no purpose to them. You may ask them yourself, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I love to hear. Um, but this is something we're used to being asked and you know, often wonder... Do they want a real answer to this? Is this a trick? Like, do they want me to be answering this in yes. some specific way? So I'm going to ask you the question. You can answer for real. You can also tell me what you think people maybe should say. Okay. <laughs> the first question is, where do you see yourself five years from now? Let me say, I, I think that's a tough question to ask a lot of people <laughs> because anyone who can think beyond three years should be in a more turbulent industry. But <laughs> I think for me, the short answer is running a business. It's generic, but I, I want to be in something where I'm responsible for different functions and helping a business grow. Can't say much more than that. I don't know what kind of business. I don't know where. 
Um, it's also totally possible that I'll just have quit this and we'll be off writing mystery novels in a cabin in Maine. I mean, I, that's equally <laughs> likely at this point in life, but but probably running a business. You'll have to let us know if you're writing mystery novels. We'll bring you back yeah. on the podcast for a completely different interview. Yeah, <laughs> and I would say, so I, I don't ask this question in interviews because I'm, I... At the level I'm at, I, I tend to have people who are earlier in their careers mm-hmm. that I'm interviewing. And, I mean, come on. who In five years, I know, it was who industry, knows? too. It's like... So, yeah. I like to ask, um, what do you want to learn next? Because, to me, that's a better indicator of what motivates this person and is this job going to be a fit for them? Because if someone tells me what they want to learn next is you know, how executives make decisions and it's a really junior role where you're like a data monkey. That's not going to work very well, (laughs) but maybe they're a good fit for something else. Yeah. That's a great question. What do you want to learn next? And Mm -hmm. I think it's funny because it's the kind of thing I'm thinking as you're saying it, like, Oh, what would I say? And it's, you should have that top of mind, but I don't think probably people, will you tell me people come into interviews prepared or are they kind of like, really? No, but you get really good answers. Yes. You yeah. get good answers, and people have to think on their feet. Right. No, that's a great question. Yeah. Tell me about a challenge you had and how you solved it. This one kills me. I know. Well, it's just that, like, can you be more specific? I mean, that's my job is right. to solve the challenges every day. Most things are challenges to me. Um, I like this as an interview question, but I think, you know, it helps to be specific to the role, so... Um, Like for me, a lot of challenges now relate to team. I've got an awesome team of ambitious, capable people. And so one of the things I have to think about now is how do I give each of them growing room and running room and yet not have them run into each other? (laughs) And and so that's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, Other challenges I've solved, I don't, I mean, there's just too many. (laughs) There's just too many. You're like, what time is it? It's already noon? Yeah, okay, I've there's, solved. There's just too many. I've already solved 10 today. <laughs> this is not a wacky interview question. This is a question based on what you just said. As a manager, yeah. how do you work to kind of educate yourself as a manager? I think being a manager is so challenging. There, I truly feel, especially when I worked in bigger companies, that there's like a lack of education for managers. Yes. And, and it's and not everyone's meant to be manager. That's okay. That's you don't have to be. That's okay. Um, so what are some of the things you're able to do to advance your, you know, management skills? Is there actual training they give you or is it stuff you're doing yourself every day? Yeah. The Times does some training and they're expanding it. I was a manager when I was in consulting and got a lot of great training there too that I still go back to. This is a place where my network of people that I know from business school has been really helpful because they're all managers now and we can trade experiences and that peer group's really valuable. Um, I can't emphasize enough how valuable upward feedback is from my team. Yeah, I was going to ask. But it's also like in order to have a team that's comfortable sharing that, you have to work really hard at being a manager. Right. I mean, if you, you, if you haven't created a culture of trust and openness, you're never going to get that feedback from your team. So it's, it's kind of a vicious circle that right. way. Right. Of, of like, if you're getting the feedback, hopefully you're doing something right. Um, the other thing is I think it, I, I think it just gets really hard. I am working with an executive coach now, which is something the company's doing, That's which is right. great because you, you do need to be able to, think through those kinds of challenges and situations with someone else. 
Um, so training helps being open and really trying to listen to your team um, and then finding peers who are going through the same thing. Um, I also benefit because my team works so cross-functionally that a lot of my peers work with my team and can also give me their thoughts and impressions of how people are doing and what they're witnessing and observing, which helps me be a more effective manager. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle, huh? It's really hard. And the, I mean, the biggest thing is you just have to care. It's, um, not to be flippant about it, but I've been really surprised by the number of people who run large teams and don't think of themselves as managers. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what do you think is happening there? (laughs) Um, you know, they, they still, they don't, they don't think about management as a part of their job. Right. Whereas for me, like I have eight people who work for me. The majority of my job is managing that team. Right. Um, or at least that's how I see it. And it's so hard because especially if you work at a big company, but really if you work anywhere, like as you grow, because I have had people who've been very honest with me, like I'm not a good manager. I struggle with it. I don't really want to be a manager, but sometimes you just don't have a choice and that's yeah. so hard. Like if you don't want to be a manager and it's yeah. the only way to grow. I know um, at some like big companies now, especially in the tech space, you can choose a management yes. route or not a management route, I think which that's is interesting. really smart. Yeah. Um, my dad's military and is now in the government and they do that. And I think it's just, it can't be good for a company or a team to have someone who doesn't want to be a manager managing. And I think lots of research and all of our employee surveys have also shown that one of the biggest things that's going to influence an employee's experience and productivity is their boss, which makes sense. So we, as companies, need to find ways for people to contribute as individuals and to make our managers excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting, the, the route, because I have worked with people who have been like, you can do all the managing. I love to manage people, and I'm invested yeah. in it, and I'm very interested. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really hard. It's full-time job, really I mean, especially with a big team, right? I'm sure it's your full-time job. Yep. <laughs> so just, just managing people and personalities. Yeah. The last interview question, we, you know, the trend a lot of companies to ask these wacky, deep thinking mm-hmm. interview questions. Um, and we often steal them from other people's interviews to ask our guests on the show. So this one is your new addition to the crayon box. What color would you be and why? I've, this, I'm cheating a little bit because I've been asked this question, so I you know have You have not. I have. So, so I always go with periwinkle. Ooh. Just because I, th- I think it's a color that works well with bright colors and with subdued colors. I so like no it. versatile. And I think it's, it's um, bold, but a little bit gentle as a color, too. You know, it's a non-threatening color, yep. but it also shows up on paper. Where have you been asked this? <laughs> I, was, I was asked this um in an interview question uh to be a tour guide in college oh my gosh I love it they ask everyone that question (gasps) and so that's how so then then it becomes kind of this culture of everyone knows what was your color that you gave in your interview so interesting periwinkle is a great color great answer Mm -hmm. I I should come to these interviews prepared I'm like yeah I would love to say burnt sienna just I don't know why. Nice I just feel like yeah, that. There's a, a richness to it. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has personality. Yeah. We have reached our lightning round. I'm okay. going to ask you quick questions, and we're just going to go right through this. Here we go. 
the best job you've ever had? Being a tour guide um, at Monticello. I, so I went to UVA. I don't want to talk about the basketball results from Friday, um, but I went to UVA and I was a campus tour guide, but I, I also spent a summer and was a tour guide at Monticello. So cool. a ton of fun. I love that. Yeah. Ah, that's so cool. What's the worst job? I grew up in a beach community. I grew up in Virginia Beach and I spent a summer cleaning beach house rentals. Uh, I'm which, like, when people, Yeah. When people end their week at the beach and just you know, leave and then someone has to come in and clean it before the people arrive the next day. And it was awful. There is no sum of money you could ever pay me to do that again. (laughs) That's like also people at their worst. They've like been on vacation. It's sandy. They've been partying. And like you have to clean your bathroom and your kitchen at home. So of course you don't want to clean it when you're on vacation. But just a, you know, note for people, leave a tip for those cleaners, please. Please, they deserve it. Oh, that's Terrible a good, job. great advice. And I, I'm sure it built character, but I'm <laughs> glad you don't have to ever do that again. What's the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice, this was relatively recently. And someone said to me, just remember that careers are long. And so even though you feel like you are in this existential crisis right now, you're going to have like 15 of these moments, it's not an existential crisis. This is just like a moment in your career. So, like, breathe through it and keep going. That's great advice. That's I love really that. Careers yeah. are long. Yeah, I think about that all the time. I'm like, oh my god, so many years to go. Yeah, we're all gonna live to be a hundred. <laughs> I mean, I've got like 40 more years of working. The last 10 is nothing. Right, you're like, <laughs> pace yourself. Yeah. What's the worst career advice you've ever received? I can't wait to hear. Uh, the worst career advice was to go work at Facebook. That was just so like the I, advice was yeah, to go work well, at Facebook? I was leaving business school and doing all of this networking, and I said I wanted to work in media. And everyone kept saying, well, of course you need to go to Google or Facebook. I was like, no, I mean, I mean media. I mean, like, right. content. Journalists, news. And everyone said, that's crazy. Like, that business won't be around. Go to these growing companies. That's the future of media. And I just couldn't do it because the thing I cared about was the content. Right. And, you know, it's worked out okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, that, was, that was not good advice. Um, I mean, it probably would have been fine. Right. I, like, no knocking on Facebook. I know people who've gone there and have worked, and it's been great, but it was not the right call for me. Yeah, and I just think that we need people working in this industry who, like, care about media. I mean, yeah. and are are doing what you're doing, thinking how to reinvent it. Yeah. So important. And you care about content right. and how we're going to make it. Right. No, Facebook absolutely is a media company and right. is growing really quickly, but that advice made me realize that that wasn't really what I wanted. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to work in media. Right. I wanted to work in content. content. They're, not a con- they're not creating the content. Mm-hmm. They're a content company in that they support the content, yep. but it is not. they're not creating it. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particularly memorable office moment, something positive or negative that you've had in your career, something that's happened in the office that you yeah. just will never forget? Well, I have to say we're living it now because, as I, as I mentioned, we've just – done a whole bunch of construction in the building and we've moved to flex seating which means you don't have an assigned desk you've got like a neighborhood so um a neighborhood of like your team and then there are lockers and there's not actually a seat for every person because they do the analysis and determine that most days a certain number of people are out 
Interesting. So every night I pack my stuff away and put it in my locker. And every morning I come in and, you know, take my stuff out of my locker and go pick a seat. And it's been a really interesting office experience. I have so many questions. I'm like, how did we not start the interview with this? I could go on about this. I have a lot of questions. So you don't have an assigned home. And does that make you, like... I don't know. I'm not one for like decorating my desk and making it my home away from home, but a lot of people are. Does yeah. That, yeah. Does that cause issues? I think it's been hard. And you know, on, on your way out, you can look around and form your own opinion. I do think we only made this move about a month ago. Oh, wow. And the idea is that over time with your neighborhoods, you can, you can personalize and decorate and do things like that. But it is hard when no, I, I can understand people wanting to have, like, a picture of their children at their desk. Right. And now you can. You just have to put it in your locker right. at night. <laughs> put it away. All that said, um, I do see a lot more people, and I see more of my team day-to-day. And it is also psychologically amazing to come in every morning to a clean desk. Yeah, good point. It's, wow. It's, you just have to clear away the day before, and you come in, and it's just, yeah. here's my day, blank slate. That's great. So, so you have a neighborhood. You have you can only sit amongst these basically. Seats. I mean, if those seats are all filled, you could go to the neighborhood next door. Okay. Um, and right now, we still there are enough seats for every person right now because we have some open positions. But theoretically, you could come in and every desk. That would be my question. Yeah, and so they've they've created a lot more open communal spaces okay. where you could like touch down with your laptop and work from there for the day. Um, We've got conference rooms to book and those kinds of things. So you could, there's a lot of places you can just drop in. Uh, but yes, theoretically, you could come in and not have a desk that day. And what is this modeled after? Like, where did the seating come from? Um, so, so the main reason, and the company's been very transparent about this, the main reason was cost savings. Mm-hmm. So we used to have massive cubicles, and that needed to go away. Right. And now we have smaller desks, which are completely adequate for space like there there's plenty of room at any given desk so we condensed floors so that we could lease out more um and then flex seating by by moving to this model there were i think like another couple floors we were able to lease out so it was meaningful um and honestly people are adjusting it's been fine Mm -hmm. uh it is an adjustment but you know, it's, it's working okay. And I think it was a really smart financial move for the company. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's a locker, whatever you'll adjust. And right. I think everyone here would rather have us putting economics towards the newsroom and towards right. growing our business and investing in, you know, additional types of talent and technology and everyone's on board with that mission. So, so far we're adapting. And are people given more flexibility like to work from home. Yes. Okay. So around the same time, the company rolled out an actual policy for remote Got working, it. which we'd had, but it was not well understood and needed some updating. Um, so that worked. Um, you know, we now have monitors in every room for easier teleconferencing. Um, and there were some perks that came with it. So we got better coffee machines. Oh, uh, I should have had a cup of coffee. Yeah, and here. snacks. So there's free snacks and fruit for everyone. And we do now have more open spaces for collaboration, which people are using and really great. enjoying. That's great. I have to say, I'm, I'm just really impressed that a company 
that's kind of, you know, older, mm-hmm. can, like, has been around for a long time, yeah. can look at their model. I mean, this is something I'm, like, uh, proselytizing about <laughs> for all the media companies. Like, look at your model and be like, this is not working. We yeah. have to rethink it. I think that takes a lot. It's, and it was a difficult decision and transition. I'm sure. I mean, operationally, we have over a couple thousand people here. We needed to move. We had to move a couple departments to a space outside the building for a few months so that we could move the construction forward quickly. Um, But it's also, you know, even though this is a big change, I also think if we look around at digitally native companies, many have more extreme than this. You know, I was at an ad agency last week where they don't even have desks. It's just a table. Right. You just come in and sit at a table. It's like a WeWork space or a cafeteria. Right. And you have your laptop and you plug in and... That's just how you work. So um, I think it makes sense to be flexible and to try out different ways of working. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you throw locker parties like you did uh, at there are, in you know, like, high yeah, school? Like decorate for people's birthdays. I did see some balloons <laughs> on a locker upstairs this morning. We haven't gone that far yet. We do need to do some decorating, I think, around the neighborhoods because everyone does feel like it's yeah. a little bit sterile-seeming. Um, and our building is beautiful and lovely and modern, but right now it looks very white and gray. Right. Uh, so we, we need to put some effort into that. Wow. This is this is fascinating. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for sharing all this yeah. information with me. Well, I've had so much fun talking with you today. It was great Thank to you this. for your time. Are you on social media? Are there places people can follow you that they, you want them to follow you? Oh gosh, I'm such a Luddite. Like not really. I, mean, I probably now that now that my title has innovation, I probably need to be on Twitter. But the short story is, I'm a horrible multitasker. So I I spend very little time on social media except professionally when right. I go on to like check it out to know what right. these platforms are doing. Um, but I'll I'll get on Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm sure but people you can, should probably find you on LinkedIn. Should, you can LinkedIn and you can just email me too. It's <laughs> probably I like it. We're going old school. Yeah. So you can email Allison Murphy. I mean, yes. We won't give her name, her email out, but you can find her. You can find her you on can LinkedIn. Find me. I'm not that hard to find. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for your time, Allison. Thanks this for was great. Me. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hopkeiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that worked on this episode. Elizabeth Roberts, Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grise, Heidi Harris, Andrea Goldstein, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to newyorkwiki.org podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.